Well, we're not bad here on Fashion by Dad. It's a bit after 4am in the morning here in Brisbane on the east coast of Australia if you're listening to us on 102.1 FM. Going to do a little bit of exploration of the profession of violence. The uh, subtitle of the book called The Profession of Violence is The Rise and Fall of the Cray Twins. Almost everyone who met them now agrees there was a strange air of innocence about them, which marked them out from the other villains round about them. Some thought them shy. They were extraordinarily polite to anyone older who took the trouble to talk to them. They never bragged. They were never loud mouths, never seemed to swear. Among a race of almost universal gamblers, they never gambled. Among womanizers and ponces, they showed no interest in women. Among hard drinkers, they were never drunk. Most of the time, they would just sit slightly apart from everybody else, usually silent and impassive, watching and listening to what went on. Several who knew them now remark upon their eyes. There was something about them that bored right through you, especially if you were lying to them. You felt they always knew. They also had an air of weirdness and danger which everybody noticed from the start. Some say they cultivated this quite consciously. Certainly they did so later. Natural actors that they were, they picked up all the, the tricks of instilling fear with an economy of effort and projecting their presence to maximum effect. But what distinguished them even now from all the other violent characters around them is that they had an extraordinary presence to project. It remains something of a mystery. Part of it was due to their behaviour as identical twins. With their telepathy and uncanny similarity, their effect was literally double that of a normal individual, and this certainly explains much of their effectiveness. So does their imperviousness to pain and danger. They were so fit and so vicious that they had already perfected a technique of synchronised and ruthless combat, which rendered them invulnerable as long as they stayed together. But there was something else. They were, says one old villain who came up against them shortly afterwards, a thoroughly evil pair of bastards. And from now on, in their story, the idea continually recurs that they were uniquely and positively evil. Now, I'm reading a few passages from The Profession of Violence, The Rise and Fall of the Cray Twins. People were becoming slightly wary of the twins. One of their oldest friends, who knew them long before the army, noticed a change in them. I began to see that I could only go so far with them, and however friendly they were they were being, they seemed to keep to themselves that little bit apart. Neither of them liked being touched. Put your hand on Reggie's shoulder and you'd feel him wince. You wouldn't do it twice. But it was Ronnie that people really feared. We was all scared of him, to tell the truth, not just because of what he could get up to, but because of what he knew. He had a funny way of looking at you and yet not looking at you that always made you think he was reading your mind. Sometimes he spent the evening brooding in his chair and left early. At other times he decided he was drinking and picked up 
a dozen hangers-on to go with him. It was always a bit of an event to go to a pub with the twins. They used to like a crowded pub with a good singer and a lot of talent, perhaps a chance of trouble. When you went in with them, the people would stop talking and make room for you at the bar. We used to like that. And sometimes at the billiard hall, Ronnie would make his favourite announcement. Well, we've decided on a little row with so-and-so tonight. Who's for and who's against? It would be like a raiding party with everyone bringing out his favourite weapon and piling into an ancient battered car outside the hall. The twins were always in the lead and would usually keep the destination secret. It was really all a bit of a lark, sort of an outing. But it was a funny thing, wherever we went, to a pub or a dance hall or any other club, there was always trouble. As for the fighting, friends of the twins insisted that this was always deadly serious. They were a wicked couple, really. They were frightening them. They were frightened of no one and loved every minute of it. Something got into them once a fight started, and you could see they enjoyed their bit of violence, really enjoyed it. If I was cutting somebody or putting the boot in, I'd usually hold back a bit. Never the twins, though. If you watched their faces while they did it, you'd see real hate. They always went the limit. Short passage from The Profession of Violence, The Rise and Fall of the K-Twins, the Cray Twins here on Fashion by Dad. You're on Fashion by Dad with me, Jeff Ebbs. I've just been reading a few snips from The uh, Profession of Violence, The Rise and Fall of the Cray Twins, one of those little... Uh, books that you find about criminals, murderers and other thugs that uh, people buy in airports. We're all fascinated and titillated by true crime. We uh, want to know what makes these monsters in our midst tick. But as Bones just called pointed out, they actually we live in an incredibly violent society. Whether or not it's because we've normalised it through our fascination with true crime and thugs like the Cray Twins or whether uh, those things are brought to normalise us by the powers that be, what we've seen is the gradual militarisation of our police and an increasing level of uh, violence in the policing of the day-to-day. Police that attend rallies or... Shopping centres bristling with armoury. They're all carrying tasers, revolvers. And this is a global phenomenon in which we are copying the American approach to policing. But wherever we have a colonist power at the where the police are... Well, the police are by definition a tool of the state, um, but policing in America has a long history of being about the oppression of blacks, particularly, and the organised working class as well. So the police were used to bust up rallies in the early 20s in America. In Australia, we've had a much more egalitarian uh, tradition. The police... uh, variously um, taken the role of workers, the police strike in 20s being a famous example of that. Um, And the main challenge that we've seen about policing in Australia is ongoing corruption. 
and some people would trace that all the way back to the Rum Rebellion. Uh, but whatever the case, there's been institutionalised corruption in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland of many different varieties. As a youngster in Victoria, it was perfectly normal for uh, especially young men to be thrown against the side of a police car, have your ankles kicked apart and be searched and threatened with all sorts of um, violence sometimes in the street, sometimes taken to the cells, more or less at the whim of the copper who was picking you up. There was never any real sense to it. It was just that, you know, <laughs> we're out and about, you're in the wrong place at the uh, wrong time and we're going to have a bit of fun. In Queensland, it had a much darker edge because it was connected to the corruption of the state and the uh, police force supported Joe and his cronies in uh, creating a police state that actively opposed any political opposition and uh, supported those people in whatever their get-rich-quick schemes were. And in New South Wales, they had another character altogether. The police were working hand-in-hand hand with the uh, criminals to run uh, trade in drugs, sex and arms but it went on at a level that left day-to-day uh, -day society alone and even though politicians were involved in that uh, corruption uh, it didn't bust through the veneer of society in the same way that it did in Queensland so violence, policing our fascination with thugs and we find ourselves in an increasingly violent world. Right now, as we go to air, the people of Taiwan are deciding how they want to respond to what they perceive to be aggression from China. Taiwan is an island populated by the ruling class of China before the Second World War, who fled the Communist Revolution. Uh, took over an island from a local indigenous fishing people that had been oppressed by the Japanese for decades and suddenly found themselves hosting the absent government of uh, mainland China, the Kuomintang. Interestingly, the Taiwanese and the Republic of People's Republic of China both have very similar uh, constitutions and in some ways are uh, very similarly organised countries, but Taiwan is avowedly an ally of the US and of the neoliberal world order and opposed to the socialist state of the People's Republic of China. Anyway, Australia's just signed up to be in a forever alliance with the uh, US, so no doubt we will be hearing the sabre rattling over the days to come as we uh, defend, protect, whatever words we want to use to ramp up Taiwan's refusal to participate in China, the People's Republic of China's expansion. Complicated situation and well beyond our pay level here on Fashion by Dad at 10 to 5 as you struggle to get through your first cup of coffee of the day and off to work. 
Well, we're all bad here on Fashion by Dad, especially if we are Facebook, Instagram or WhatsApp. If you are snuggled up in bed and checking your phone using the news feeds of one of those Facebook-owned services, probably wondering why you can't see anything. They're down. They're gone. They're not on air. They're not up. They're not online. The socials are having trouble. So uh, from about... 2.45am some of the news services are reporting I'm not sure if that's daylight savings time for our southern neighbours which would make it a little bit earlier for us but anyway over the course of the morning uh, Facebook and co have struggled to get their lines back up So we might be reaching a sort of point of peak internet. It's been predicted before. Bob Metcalf, one of the founders of the some of the pieces of the technology that make up the internet, uh, predicted that we'd break the internet by making it so popular. He thought it would probably break down many, many years ago, but uh, was proven wrong. I've seen some pretty amazing... Uh, denial of service attacks on major players, major news services, uh, government websites and so on. Uh, But so far, nothing of the scale of Facebook, WhatsApp and Instagram being down for probably about three hours so far. And um, we'll keep you tuned if it comes up in the next hour or so. I only knew about because I was going to post pictures to illustrate some of the points we're making here on Fashion by Dad. Uh, here on the Dance and Dada, we uh, often, we being Claire Tracy Art or other guests, and I often surprise each other by uh, springing unannounced uh, topics on each other to see how we go. So it's interesting that over the last two weeks, both Claire Tracy Art and my good self have brought up the same notion. Here's a couple of little snips from the last two episodes of Fashion by Dad. So this week's blazer of glory is the love apple. In times, then word of the court would grab an apple and peel it and stick it in their armpit and then they'd leave it there for like, you know... A good, Sometime. Long, a good long while, let's say. and then Are we talking a day, a week, an hour? I think... You know, more like a week. More like a week. Right. More like a week. And to us, you know, to our sense that, we you know, we've been marketed that smell is terrible, uh, you've got to remember that there wasn't any perfume, deodorant companies trying to sell this idea of cleanliness. They had no concept of bacteria. They thought diseases were, you know, demons or ill winds. In the period of which we speak, there reigned in the cities a stench barely conceivable to us modern men and women. The streets stank of manure, the courtyards of urine, the stairwells stank of mouldering wood and rat droppings, and the kitchens of small cabbage and mutton fat. The unaired parlours stank of stale dust, the bedrooms of greasy sheets, damp feather beds, and the pungently sweet aroma of chamber pots. The the armpit absorbed all the pheromones and the sweat, and then they gave the love apple this 
this armpit apple to their intended and it was deeply romantic, a, a blazer of glory in the form of courtly love. Mm. It's a sex attractant. That's what pheromones are. In one study, a group of women at different points in their ovulation cycles wore the same t-shirts for three nights. After male volunteers were randomly assigned to smell either one of the worn shirts or a new unworn one, saliva samples showed an increase in testosterone in those who had smelled a shirt worn by an ovulating woman. Such a testosterone boost may give a man the nudge to pursue a woman he might not have otherwise noticed. A woman's nose is particularly attuned to MHC molecules, which are used to fight disease. In this case, opposites attract. When a study asked women to smell t-shirts that had been worn by different men, they preferred the odors of those whose MHC molecules differed from theirs. This makes sense. Genes that result in a greater variety of immunities may give offspring a major survival advantage. People stank of sweat and unwashed clothes. From their mouths came the stench of rotting teeth. From their bellies that of onions. And from their bodies, if they were no longer young, came the stench of rancid cheese and sour milk and tumorous disease. The river stank and the marketplaces stank and the churches stank. It stank beneath the bridges and in the palaces. The peasants stank as did the priest and the apprentice as did the master's wife and the whole of the aristocracy stank, even the king himself stank, stank like a rank lion and the queen like an old goat summer and winter. It's a sex attractant, that's what pheromones are. Now we just heard a uh, couple of different sound pieces discussing the role of pheromones. The uh, Some of the readings were from the book Perfume, where a perfumier in 18th century France gets away with murder, literally because he has the magic touch with perfume and he's found the scent that makes everybody love him. So no one can bear to hang him or criticise him or resist his advances as he sets out to murder them. This is the dream of perfumiers selling pheromone or pheromone is the proper pronunciation the m comes before the m pheromone laden perfume so pheromone laden perfumes is supposed to track the opposite sex so that you will never be lonely again it's the marketing story you can buy them in men's toilets be careful, this may be dangerous. So the idea that we are slave to our senses is hardly new, but it's also uh, captured very quickly by social Darwinists. So in the little snip that I played about the uh, role of pheromones, the experiment was to get people wearing T-shirts and the measure the level of testosterone in the saliva of men who sniffed the t-shirts and found that uh, the t-shirts of the ovulating women increased the level of testosterone in the saliva and the interpreter of the science quoted in that quote said that level of testosterone may cause men to pursue women they may otherwise not notice which, of course, we would think is dreadfully old-fashioned 
language. We're driven to pursue women by scent. And I think it's interesting to consider these things because, you know, we are animals. So clearly we are uh, driven in some ways by uh, animal instincts. But the normative notions that we're dominated by those senses warrant some further analysis. I was involved in a discussion recently um, with a bunch of straight friends about, you know, who who's straight, who's gay, why might people have made those choices or have those feelings or be born with that instinct. And I found myself saying, well, I just don't believe in the divide. I don't believe in the notion that we have a fixed sexuality. I said, you know, I'm sensual, I'm lustful, I'm affectionate, and I might feel sensual, lustful or affectionate towards people or things for all sorts of reasons. And we'd just been for a swim in a cold, cold pool on a hot, hot day. And so we were lying on the hot rocks, then plunging into the cold pool and then lying on the hot rocks. And I said, that extraordinarily sensual experience. I sort of float off in the flood of senses that that encounters in me. And, you know, swimming with any of you or all of you in that experience could lead to some exploration of sensuality that might transcend boundaries of gender affection and so on. One of the most fantastic orgasms I remember ever having had nothing to do with sexual... Well, it had nothing to do with genital play was all to do with hugging. It was a hugasm. And many of my wet dreams are about flying. So with these sort of -of out-of-body experiences uh, well beyond the kind of more men will pursue women who smell with a certain way kind of normative sexuality... We're just about out of here in Fashion by Dad. Cam's looking well organised there to give you a bundle of unnecessary knowledge. And um, the, the big news of the moment is that Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp are down. Hmm, we're having trouble finding that site, reports Google. So it's more than the average denial of service attack. They've actually managed to somehow take over the DNS system. Anyway, that news will evolve during the day. It's about four years old, uh, four months, four, going from years to months. It'll be a long time before I get to hours. It's about four hours old. 